Southfield. It's good to be here today, and I'm so glad to be able to worship with you this morning. As we sing those words, take my life and let it be all for you and for your glory, and take my life and let it be yours. I don't know about you, but after the series that we've been in, it's just, it's quite a prayer, isn't it? To just pray to God, take it, God, it's yours. I surrender everything to you. Um, We've been in a series, Necessary Sins, and I hope that you've been sticking around with us long enough to know that really they're not necessary. Um, it's just, we just sort of get into that mindset sometimes where we just kind of blow by them and breeze by them and don't realize, um, that we're really not living up to what God 
has called us to live up to. Well, this morning we um, are in our second, um, it's like part two of the anger sermon. And so last week we learned what anger was and, and all that stuff. If you missed it, totally catch the podcast. Um, but this morning it's more, how do we deal with that? And what do we do with the anger that, that we have, or we may be feeling, well, as we, um, go into our next song, before we start singing, I just want to, just want to throw this out to you. It's another Beth Moore. It's another quote from Beth Moore and you may need it. And if you do hold on to it. Never will he hold your hand more tightly than when he is leading you through the dark. Okay, let's sing. You hear me when I call, you are my morning song. Though darkness fills the night, it cannot hide the light. Whom shall I fear? You crush the enemy underneath my feet. You are my sword and shield, though troubles linger still. Whom shall I fear? I know who goes before me, I know who stands behind, the God of angel armies is always by my side, the one who reigns forever, he is a friend of mine, the God of angel armies is always by my side. My strength is in
Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and for this time to come together as a, as a body of believers, Lord, and worship you and just submit our, our hearts to you, God, and to, to hear what you have to say to us um, through your word, Lord, and through Dennis. Father, we, we are so grateful to have a place, Lord to come this morning. And Lord, so many times we focus on your love and, and, and not forgetting your love and embracing your love. And while that's all important, God, I just pray, Father, that we don't forget your might, Lord, that you are an awesome God, Lord, and your power exceeds anything and anyone. And we know that we serve a mighty God and an awesome God. And Father, we just, we submit our lives to you, Lord, and we thank you for walking with us through the dark. We thank you for celebrating with us in the light. In your name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Very good to see you today. Uh, a couple of things a little different this morning. Uh, Tom Deardiff was here to play today. Grateful for him coming home and stepping in. He's home from school for the weekend. And, and next weekend, uh, Kelly Newton's going to be back around and has agreed to go ahead and sing with us. So some of you remember Kelly. Both of them, both Tom and, and uh, Kelly, are in Tennessee these days. So it seems like we're importing our talent these days from Nashville, which is kind of cool. I like that. That's kind of fun. Anyway, it's good to be able to have them to fill in. You walked in, and, and you went to reach for your folder, and it wasn't there. And now you're op- trying to open a folder you don't have, and there's not a card there. We have a broken printer. So uh, today you're going to have to just trust us. There's stuff going on, and if it is, we'll make sure it comes to you by email. But we're grateful that you, you joined us as you did walk in. You got your envelope, your offering envelope. We give you one of those every week. Uh, it's a, a way for the counters to be able to keep account of, of your giving so that in the end of the year when we have that giving statement that the uh, IRS requires, we're able to have accuracy on that. So we thank you for using that each week as you give and, and filling it out. I was, um, I was just incredibly excited last week. I mean, I was really, really excited. You see, for the first Sunday in, in literally weeks, I felt good. It, I, physically, I just, I felt good. It had been a long time. I mean, I'm, I'm not kidding. I had to chronicle this. Going all the way back to January 28th. On January 28th, I started to have a cough and just some cold-like symptoms. And I'm like, oh, man, I'm not feeling great, feeling kind of cruddy. But I pushed through the week. That was the weekend of the, the men's conference and then church. And so we did all that. And Monday morning, I woke up, and I was just like, boom, clobbered. And that week, and I didn't feel great, had problems with my ears and all kinds of stuff going on. I actually had two weeks in a row. It was kind of an adventure. One week this year was completely blocked on Sunday, and the other year, week this year was completely blocked. So I kind of got this experience of preaching with only one ear, which was very bizarre. And in the week in the middle, both ears went down. So I'm not kidding. They were, they were so blocked that I made popcorn, and I couldn't hear the popcorn popping. I'm having to kind of just watch the kettle and wonder if it's popping or not. They, they were that stuffed. So I went to the doctor, what, in February, February 11th. He gave me some stuff. I started to feel better. Things are starting to do all right. And I actually had a, 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 about a week in there that I was like, yeah, this is, this is starting to improve. My ears feel better. Everything feels better. Sunday was great, and I knew that Monday morning I just wanted to hit it hard. You know, I had this stuff that had piled up, and I, was, I finally had energy finally ready to get at it. So went ahead on this past Monday morning, started into the list of to-dos, and I'm doing my stuff, and, all, and, and I started to cough. And I'm like, no, you're not allowed to come back into my body. What are, you, what are you doing here? You get out of here. Then in the afternoon, I started getting this thing, and maybe you get this. I, I started getting the creepy crawlies in my back, and the creepy crawlies in my back usually say, a fever is coming. 
Well, by that night, it was up to 100. By the following morning, it was at 101. Kim told me I groaned in my sleep all night long. I was just had that achy, creepy feeling going. I'm like, I'm going back to the doctor, figuring this out. I walk in, sit down, tell him the symptoms. He says, well, do you think you have the flu? I'm like, well, I'm paying you to tell me what I have. I don't know what I have. Tell me what I got. So he said, yeah, you got the flu. That night, 102 fever, just feeling dreadful. It knocked me. I mean, I don't know if any of you have had this. If you haven't, avoid anybody that does. You don't want this one. This one is nasty beyond nasty. Uh, so I've got this flu, and I'm like, well, at least I have one advantage. I'm the only sick person. I like being the only sick person when I'm sick. You know, when other people are sick, then you got to kind of share, and I don't like that. So when you know, I'm feeling lousy, and then Kim starts coughing. Like, no, you're not. A, you can wait till next week. This is my week. You're not supposed to do this this week. She went down rock hard. In fact, she's not even here today. She's still in the process of recovery. Thursday, Brian went down. Boom. And, and Thursday, Nate needed to go to the doctor. Here I am, like death warmed over. But I'm the healthiest person in the house. So I'm the one that gets to take Nate to the doctor. Two ear infections, sinus, sinus infection for him. Uh, you know, it's just not a really good week around our house. You'd think we live in like a pigsty or something. Or, you know, the doctor gave me a look, this pediatrician, like we live on a diet of M&Ms. I'm like, no, we're, really, we, we eat healthy stuff. We do healthy stuff. All that. Why the health report? Well, here's what it's all about. Time for confession, okay? All week long, I've just been kind of mad. I've been, I've been just kind of low level, not, not steaming, not brewing, not blowing up, but I've, I've, I've been ticked off. I had this low level grr going on inside of me. And, and what last week, well, last week was about controlling your anger. And this week is about controlling your anger. And it's not like, again, I wasn't screaming. I wasn't spewing. I wasn't storming. I was just frustrated. I was aggravated. I was plain sick of being sick. And I, you know, I love winter, but March 1st, the heat switch goes on, and this goes away. It's time. It's time for some warm. It's time to move on. So all that to say, um, even though I felt kind of just unhappy, I never lost it. Never lost it. And a lot of that was just based on hearing those verses last week. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to become angry. How would you do this past week as, it went, as, as anger was concerned? A lot of stuff comes into your life that you can't control. Something as simple as how you feel. You can't control it. How do you do with the things you can't control? Are you, are you okay with that? It was cool. I actually heard from a few of you who had um, situations this past week where you would have normally just plain blown up. Or you'd have gone into a deep stew. But instead, you decided. You made the decision. I don't have to go there. I don't have to get angry. I don't have to. You handled your anger better this week. And I, that's just really great news. So we've been looking at, at habits in our lives that we tend to rationalize. We justify them. We view them as being acceptable. Lying, gossip, lust, anger. And anger is the one that we decided to take two weeks on because there's just so much material here, both what anger is. And then, and then this week, we're actually talking about how do we deal with it? How do, we, how do we implement a strategy where we can get that anger under control? So last week, we looked into what anger is and how it works. And I don't want to go into a lot of that. Got the, the, uh, on the website, you can go. You can listen to the recording from last week. It's entitled Anger Management, and I'd encourage you to do that if you weren't here last week. 
But there are a few important pieces that we just, we need to review, kind of catch up, maybe refresh the mind. It's been a week, you might have forgotten some pieces. So let's just run through a little bit about anger. One of the things we learned last week is that anger is an emotion. Uh, you knew that, it's an emotion. What you might not have realized is that emotions are, are moral, morally neutral. They are neither right nor wrong. Uh, you, you, your anger in itself as an emotion is not sinful. To have anger inside, the emotion of anger, to experience that emotion is not a sin. In fact, anger is a reflection of the image of God in you. God gets angry, and yet God does not sin. God is perfect. We've been marred and marked by sin. So very often when we express our anger, we express it in a way that is sinful. Taking those two things together, we learn that it's possible to be angry and not sin. It's possible to experience that emotion and not be in a state of sin. Our problem isn't the emotion. Our problem is with the expression of the emotion, that we have an improper way of expressing our emotion, and that ends up being the sin problem. The fourth thing we saw from the Bible is that human anger is never productive. We saw this in James 4.20. Human anger never produces the righteousness that God desires. It never happens. And then finally, we saw that we all get angry, every last one of us. There's not a person in the room that's exempt from anger. Uh, Even your great-great-grandma, she gets angry. We all get angry. It happens to all of us. Then we looked at how anger works. We looked at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27 that said, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Our tendency is to take our grievances to bed, both literally and figuratively. We take them with us. We bury our grievances deep inside. And when we bury them, they go from just being an issue to becoming bitterness that is growing within us. Paul's wisdom is simple. He says, keep short accounts. Deal with your frustrations quickly. Don't let them brew. Don't let them simmer. Don't let them grow. And he reminds us that when we don't deal with it quickly, what we do is we give Satan a foothold, a foot in the door. And that foothold literally means an opportunity. It also literally means a room. We give Satan a room in our hearts, a place where he sets up shop and he's able to go ahead and do his work. Well, hopefully that refreshes your memory on what we talked about. Now, before we go too far, I'd like to do what we've done every other week. Take this passage from Psalm 139, and we're going to own it as a prayer. Last week, we emphasized the word me as we were speaking, and I'd like to take that emphasis one step further. Today, what we're going to do is I'm going to read the verse aloud. And the only word that I want you to read aloud is the word me. So every time we come to the word me, there will be much greater emphasis as everyone in the room says it. And we're reminded that what we're learning about today isn't to point the flashlight to the person next to us and say, you got an anger problem. It's to allow God's spirit to point the spotlight on our hearts and to say, God, where do you want me to grow? Where do you want me to change? What are you doing in me? So you're only saying the word me, okay? Let's read together. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. So, Lord God, right now, as we 
take the time to look at your word and what it says. We pray again that your spirit would expose the areas that we need to change. That you would quieten us that temptation to look at somebody else's problems. And that we would instead see our own. And that we would have hope. Hope that change can happen. That we can work in cooperation with your spirit. And we don't have to be who we are. Especially in this area of anger. We don't have to be who we are. We can experience positive change by the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we all get angry. Every one of us. We don't get mad at the same things. We don't get mad in the same way. We don't get mad to the same intensity. But all of us get angry. And inevitably, I run along people who try to deny it. You know, I don't get angry. They never say it that way. They say it this way. I don't get angry. It's, it's always a high, squeaky, defensive voice, right? I never get angry. I'm not one of those people. I don't get angry. But the truth is, we all get angry. Not to the same degree. Not in the same way. Not about the same things. But we all get angry. We do one of two things generally. We are either spewers or stewers. We either just let it out, let everybody know what's going on. We don't leave a thing in our head. They hear it all. Or we stew. We take it, we stuff, and like a pressure cooker, we just let it build and boil until, boom, the lid might blow off someday. Spewers express their anger, and stewers suppress their anger. Whether you're a spewer or a stewer is dependent on a number of circumstances. For one, personality comes into bear. I mean, there are certain personalities that are going to be more prone toward taking things deep. And there are other personalities that are prone toward just go ahead and letting everything out that's in one's head or heart. Family of origin comes into play. What was your family like when it comes to anger? Whatever your family was like, even if it was really warped, you view that as really normal. And those are patterns that you adopted based on the way your family of origin worked. You also have learned habits. Things you've done along the way that worked. You screamed once and people did things. And you went, that worked. And you tried it again. And it worked again. And before you go, hey, this tool works. This hammer, I like this hammer. Boom, boom, boom. Every time I bang it, it works. And that's what we do. So we learn some things just by habit of what we perceive to work in our lives. Do you know which you are? Have you figured it out this week? Are you a spewer? Are you a stewer? As I looked at my own life, I, I believe I was born a stewer, a spewer, but I morphed into a stewer later in life. In my early teens, I had what I call a a, a moment that was a, um, a Scarlett O'Hara declaration. Have you ever had a Scarlett O'Hara declaration? Sure you have. You remember it. I will not do my Southern Dixie voice today, but, you know, here's Scarlett. Her house is in tatters. The war has taken its toll. And, and if you remember the movie, there's kind of this sunset background. And she comes rising up out of the ashes, and there she is. And what does she say? As God is my witness, I'll never be hungry again. I'll never be hungry again. We have those moments. Her declaration is an example of a human habit. We make commitments. They're not always conscious, and they're not always as dramatic as Scarlett O'Hara either. But we make commitments in response to circumstances in our lives. A lot of times in response to harsh circumstances in our lives. They're reactions that begin with words like, I will never, boom, fill in the blank. 
I'll never go hungry again. Or I will always fill in the blank. Well, this was my commitment. And it was related to expressions of anger. I said, I will never be like my father when it comes to anger. I'm not going to be like that man. I grew up in a rage-filled home. And my dad was the emotional center of it. His anger was kind of the eye of the storm and all the emotion of the house just swirled around it. Fortunately for me, his anger didn't involve physical abuse. But on a typical day, I woke, I woke up to screaming. That was, that was the alarm clock in my family. I woke up to my dad screaming at my mom. He'd be screaming at her because the coffee wasn't ready yet. He'd be screaming at her because his lunch wasn't ready yet. And he'd be screaming at her and saying, because of you, I'm going to be late for work. Because of you, I'm mad. And he'd scream and scream and scream. That set the tone of the day. That's what we woke up to. We woke up nearly daily to the sound of screaming. My dad had a very short fuse. Yelling and negativity were a way of life for him. There were four kids in a five-year span in our household. I promise you, there was always a reason to be mad. There was always something. And we were good kids. I promise you, we were really good kids. But there was always a reason to be mad. On a scale of 1 to 10, the level of tension in our house sat at about 8.5 all the time. You just you walked in and you just always felt a high level of tension in our household. We just waited, knowing it wouldn't take much for the trigger to be pulled and Dad to just blow, and he'd blow again. I could tell you lots of stories today, lots of stories of unrestrained rage as well as the impact it had on all of us. One time my dad didn't like what my mom made for dinner, and he made it known. You could just tell by his body language. You could tell by his grumbling. And then he did something I had never seen him do before. He took his finger under his plate, and he just flipped it, and the plate did an end over end and smashed down onto the table, and food went flying everywhere. And all these little kids are sitting at this table going, what do you do with that? What do you do? What do you do with that? What do you what do you do when your dad flips the table and gets up and storms out of the room? It was typical for him after something like that. He'd feel guilty. And for about three days, he just wouldn't talk. And then one day he'd just start talking again. He wouldn't say he was sorry. He'd just start talking again. And we knew he was back to normal. Many times my dad would be blazing mad, blazing mad on the way to church. He'd be screaming, usually because somebody was late getting into the car, or there was too much noise coming from the back seat, the four kids in the back of the Ford Galaxy. He'd scream up to the point that we entered the church parking lot. And we'd all enter church just looking beaten down and oppressed. But not my dad. My dad had had a chance to vent his stuff. He felt better. So as he walked in, he, he would actually, he, he'd hit his Happy Joe switch. And he'd walk into church. I remember watching him talk with people, laugh, joke with other kids. And I'm not kidding. More than once I looked at him and I thought, I wish that guy would come home with us. Just once I wish he'd come to our house. It took a toll. Every one of us lived in fear all the time. My little sister was so nervous around my dad. We'd be sitting at dinner. It seemed like nightly. I know it wasn't that often. But she'd go to reach for a drink, and she'd hit it, and it would spill, and boom, 
he'd launch again and be furious because a little kid spilled a drink. And he'd just launch on her and on all of us. Some of my habit in response to him adopted the habit of lying. You lie to keep the peace. I didn't because I had this reasoning. When dad finds out the truth, the flames will be seven times hotter. Why in the world at least go for the, for the mini explosion instead of the nuclear detonation? As kids, we would actually go to our rooms about the time my dad would come home from work. He'd come home around 4.30. We knew it. We talked about this as adults. We didn't even realize we all did the same thing. We would all hear him come up the driveway, and we'd all just go to our rooms without saying a word, and we'd wait to see who came home. Did happy dad come home, or did angry dad come home? And we'd just wait to see. Now, this impacted me to the point that as a 22-year-old kid, I go to Kim's house for the first time to meet her family. We went to school in Ohio. We went over to her house in Illinois to meet her family. And the afternoon comes, and her dad comes home, and everybody went into the kitchen to greet him. And I thought, what is wrong with this family? This family is messed up. You don't go meet the dad. You go to your room and wait to see who came home. And, and time after time, I watched this. And at some point, I went, holy crud, I'm the screwed up one. It's not them, it's me. The revelation was like, are you kidding me? I, I thought it was normal to be afraid of your father. And so I made a commitment, not me. I'm not going to be that way. I'm not going to be that way. I don't want my kids to be afraid when, my, when I come home. I don't want my wife to live in a way that she just lives under nonstop fear of how I'm going to blow this time or that way. Now, the funny thing is what I did, I didn't realize at the time, I went from being a spewer to a stewer. I decided the best thing was to just stuff everything and stuff it and stuff it and stuff it and cram it. And of course, in time, what, is the, what does the steward do? Boom, the lid blows as well. It happens eventually. What happened with a lot of help from friends and the Spirit of God is that I discovered there's a better way, a way that, that honestly God has been working on throughout the entirety of my adult life to help me to be able to deal with anger that is inevitable in all of us in a healthier way. I tell you these stories not to demean my father. You got to know we've made peace on this, okay? I tell you them because I want you to know that I get it on anger. Some of you think that our house, nobody ever does anything wrong, you know? The, the, big, the biggest problem is that, you know, like every once in a while, we, we spill a drop of milk on our counter. Woo! You know, sad, bad, woo! You know, I, I know what it's like to live in anger. Living in an intensely angry household tends to turn you into an intensely angry person. I get it. I get it. I also tell you, because I want you to know this, if you're a raging parent, it leaves fingerprints on everybody. At 50 years old, I can still see the fingerprints of the anger that existed in our house. But mostly I tell you because I want you to know that it is possible to end this cycle. It is possible to change the DNA of your family. My kids have not known the house I grew up in. My wife has not been exposed to the intensity of rage that my mom experienced. I grew up in a raging house, but I wasn't doomed to repeat that history, and neither are you. You don't have to live that way. And if you're a rager today, you can change. And if you're a stuffer today, you can change. It is possible. 
Well, how does it happen? I'm going to give you a disclaimer to start. Seems like lately, whether it's Facebook or a blog, everything, everywhere I visit, everyone's got three easy steps to everything. If you just do these three things, boom, voila, everything will be just fine. And if I give you three easy steps to resolving your anger today, I am not giving you the truth. There aren't just three easy steps to seeing this take place. This isn't about a handful of steps. It's about a lifelong process of working through, working in cooperation with the Spirit of God to see real, lasting life change take place. So I'm going to give you some handles. I'm going to give you some things you can work on. But it's not like when you, when you master these three or four things, everything's going to be all better. I promise you, if this is something you're dealing with, you will deal with it for some degree, to some degree for the rest of your days. But the Spirit of God and your friends want to walk you through the process and help you to experience true, lasting life change. Anger is such a tricky thing. I, in time... We go to it so often that we actually start to find comfort in it. Though, though we know it's destructive, though we know it hurts people, though we know it's wrong, we actually find it soothing in some way. We, we find a home in it. It's like, it's like a blanket to us. And we've got to realize that while it may be a place that we find comfort, it's not a place that is helpful at all. No change will take place in our lives if we're happy in our anger. You've got to want to change. You've got to long for a real deep change in your life. So how does the change take place? Well, like any sin, we have to agree with God on what it is and what our role is in it. So let's look at a handful of verses from Solomon in Proverbs. He must have known a lot of angry people. Or had a little temper himself because a lot of Proverbs are based on the idea of anger. In Proverbs twelve and 16, he says, A fool is quick-tempered, but a wise person stays calm when insulted. Don't you wish you were wise? You know, I'm able to stay calm when someone else is throwing insult, insults in my direction. Proverbs fourteen twenty nine: People with understanding control their anger, but a hot temper shows great foolishness. Proverbs fifteen eighteen: A hot tempered person starts fights. A cold tempered person stops them. Proverbs twenty nine eleven: Fools vent their anger. You can hear it. The head blows off. Fools vent their anger. But the wise quietly hold it back. Now, it's not saying the wise become stuffers. You don't read that there. He's saying the wise have a way of controlling, controlling their temper. And then Ecclesiastes, which is also written by Solomon, he says, control your temper for anger labels you a fool. So what does God say about this? Well, every verse says it either directly or it alludes to it. And it's simple. You can control your temper. You can control your temper. Some of us have bought into this lie. We've we've fed it to ourselves. We we, we give ourselves kind of an opt-out. We say we couldn't control it. We chalk it up to our heritage. Oh, that's just my Irish temper. You know, not even Irish, but you blame it on it anyway. You know, just my Irish. There's nothing I can do about that. Or we try to pass the blame. You made me mad. She made me mad. He made me mad. It made me mad. 
Not, not I chose to be mad. We throw it on someone else. I heard a story not too long ago of a man who was with his two-year-old son at a picnic. The kid was acting two. That's what two-year-olds do. And the dad launched, red-faced, screaming. And then when the child was bawling, dad pronounced it in front of a group of embarrassed witnesses, see what you did, you made daddy sin. That two-year-old did not make daddy sin. Daddy chose to get angry. Daddy chose to unleash on that kid. Nobody made that man sin. He chose to sin. He didn't have to discipline his, chi- discipline his child in an immature manner. He could have re- exhibited restraint and self-control. But instead, he soothed his rage by lashing out at a little child. Our anger is controllable. Your anger is controllable. My anger, it's controllable. And the Bible calls lack of control foolishness. Uh, By the way, if you have an angry friend, not an idea to call them a fool when they're venting, okay? But But that's what the Bible calls it. It says when we choose to just let our anger rule our lives, we're being foolish. We're being fools. The Bible is right and the Bible is true on this. It understands Our anger, given full vent, is foolish. And we look like fools when we rage. Not only do we look like fools, we think like fools. Our logic gets twisted. Our reasoning gets distorted. We don't think clearly. In our anger, as it stews, we overgeneralize. We obsess. Our minds jump to the wrong conclusions. We connect the wrong dots. We do foolish things like choose this one as the last straw. It's not even a very big straw, but that's it. I'm done. I've had it one too many times, and we blow. And in the process, we look like a fool, and we act like a fool. When anger is given full vent, There is no control involved. We are not being thoughtful. We just look like raging maniacs because we are. That's what the Bible says. We have to start with calling it what it is. Uncontrolled anger is a sin. We need to own it. Nobody made me angry. I lost control. I chose to do that. My temper is foolish and it makes me look like a fool. It doesn't make me look powerful. It doesn't make me look like like I'm in charge. It makes me look like I'm out of control and foolish. Calling it sin and owning it is huge. It gets you on the path to desire. I want to change. And the Spirit can work with that. So when you're finally at the point of saying, I want to change, the Spirit can work with that. Instead of being defensive about it and pretending that it's not your fault, it's someone else. Blame it on mommy, daddy, or someone else. So we need to admit that it's a sin. Know it's a sin. Admit it's a sin. Own it as our own. And then there's something else that will help. And that is to just know our triggers. You've got to know your triggers. As I said before, we all get mad. But we don't get mad at the same things. The things that cause our anger to build and blow are different. We all have triggers. Something sparks your anger. Do you know what your triggers are? Have you figured them out yet in life? Have you figured out what the thing is that causes you to roll right up to the edge of, I think I'm going to blow, I'm going to get angry now? Have you figured them out? 
We have both internal and external triggers. One of my internal triggers was feeling really twitchy this past week. I'm more irritable when I'm sick. Some of you are really nice when you're sick. I'm just a stewing grouch when I'm sick. I'm not happy about it. It's just sitting in there, and you better just kind of steer clear. Because I just, I, it just makes me irritated, you know? Other things, hunger, fatigue, being overly warm. I do not like being overly warm, man. I'm just kind of, you know, I want to break out. Uh, being generally uncomfortable. There are certain internal conditions that set us on edge. We find things bugging us more than they would normally. So an awareness of our physical condition helps us to know we might be edgier than normal. You lost a night's sleep. It's probably not the best day to go and face the person that causes you the most frustration. Or at least be aware of it. I'm not in a great place today because of that. So it's important to know the things that kind of get us in a touchy mood. Beyond that, there's a list of external triggers that quite honestly is endless. We could go on and on. I mean, your team loses, a bad call by a ref, a friend blows an appointment, rude people on cell phones, other drivers, your kid's messy room, the price of gas, telemarketers. I did not realize so many of those people call our house until this past week. Holy cow. All things politics, lousy customer service, watching the news, Facebook, all these things can just they can be external triggers, things that before you know it, we go from this day was pretty happy to, mm, I'm about ready to just explode. Broadly, our triggers fall into a couple of categories. One category we might call violated expectations. There are things you expected to go a certain way, and they didn't. Someone, someone messed it up, and you go, ah, that, that, that causes me frustration. The other might be blocked goals. You wanted something to happen a certain way. You go out into Jewel. You plan on getting through that line in five minutes. And we are now at minute number eight. And the scanner can move faster than that, I promise you. Sweepy, sweepy, move, move, move. You can do it. Let's go. Come on. These blocked goals sometimes cause us some frustration, right? Let's go back to Proverbs Proverbs 19.11 says, Sensible people control their temper. They earn respect by overlooking wrongs. One of the things we do with those triggers is we recognize that they're there and we say, this thing doesn't have to happen. I don't have, my, my finger may feel twitchy, but I don't have to pull the trigger. I don't have to blow. I don't have to get upset. I can actually overlook this. And by overlook, I'm not saying stuff it until another day. But let's face it. Everything in life isn't going to go the way we want. And sometimes you need to be able to say, it's okay. It's okay. And just walk away. The sensible person sees the trigger and chooses not to pull. They overlook the wrong. So we need to call it what it is. It's sin and it's a choice. I can control this if I want. And we need to know our triggers, what bugs us. If we know them, we can take action. I can avoid them impossible, you know? Or I can prepare myself if it's unavoidable. Or I can at least pull back when I feel myself amping up. This was one of the things I had to learn early in our marriage. So, like I said, I'd gone from a spewer to a stuffer. And I married a person who loves to resolve everything the minute it happens. 
Stuffers don't like that, you know. So she'd be wanting to, we got to solve this. And I'm like, no, we don't. It's not big enough yet. Not been in my backpack long enough. And she'd just want to pick at it and pick at it and pick at it and go, go, go. And I'm like, stop it. And what I learned is there was a certain point. I could feel the pressure to get to a certain point that I'd say, I need to take a walk. I wasn't avoiding it. I just I knew where this was going. I had lived in one of these families. We lived at 8.5 all the time. And so when I did, I knew where it was going. And I have to say, I've, we lived in Florida. It was easy to take walks. We weren't doing this garbage. And I'd go take a walk, and that would help me cool down. Something as simple as that can cause you to say, I don't need to pull the trigger. I can pull out for just a moment and breathe a moment. But mostly if we understand our triggers, we can call on help from God's spirit. God, help me with this. This moment is here and I can grow if I take this in the right direction. Help me to take it in the right direction. So let's take this home by looking again at that verse from James 1, 19 to 20. My dear brothers and sisters, you must be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. These three simple commands are so helpful. I mean, I don't want to give you 29 things to work on. You won't remember 28 of them. These three help us so much. What does the Bible say? Well, first of all, it says, be quick to listen. What's the Bible saying there? I think there are two pieces. One we already talked about. Listen to yourself. Listen to the triggers. Listen to what's going on inside of you. I, you know, I'm walking around this week going, why do I feel so edgy? I feel edgy because I'm sick and I don't want to be sick right now. So I did some listening to me and that listening was enough to say, I am aware that I'm edgy. I better be nice to everybody because I got to preach about this on Sunday. I know you all aren't stuck in that spot, but you know, I'm like, I got to live this thing. I can't be blowing up all week and then go talk about it. So... Even just listening to myself in that way was important. Listen to what's going on inside of you. But beyond that, actually use your ears to listen to what's going on. For a lot of us, our anger comes from what? Misunderstanding. We assume. We figure it out before anybody tells us the facts. Oh, we know. We know. We figured out. In our wisdom, we know how it worked. We don't have to ask any questions. All we need to do is pull out the list of accusations and boom, let's go. We need to actually listen, listen, be, be, be quick, be quick to listen, to hear what's going on. And then I love the second part. Be quick to listen because they go together. Slow to speak. Be slow to speak. Well, what's the Bible saying there? Don't jump straight into accusation mode. You know what would be helpful at this point? Actually ask a question. I'm amazed at how disarming questions can be. By the way, not entrapping questions. You know, where were you on the night of? Or something. No. Asking, asking a question for the sake of trying to get understanding. It's amazing how the level of intensity, both in you and the other person, starts to go down just by asking a question. We're so quick to jump into accusation mode. We're so quick to give our perspective and to just barrage the person with what we think. Rather than stopping long enough to say, so what's really going on here? So that combination of, I want to listen, and if I'm going to speak, it's going to be for the sake of better understanding. It's not going to be for the sake of jumping to accusation and justifying pulling the trigger. It's to listen and hear what's going on. Be quick to hear, slow to speak. And then that 
slow to get angry. And again, that peace, I love it. We talked about it a little bit last week. But just taking the whole process of anger and, and slowing it down, putting it, in, putting it in slow motion. Some of us pride ourselves on the fact that we have a quick temper. We think it's kind of cool that we're, that we're quick to get mad. I don't even need a reason. Boom, I'm angry. Really? That's neat? Well, see, the Bible calls that foolish. The Bible doesn't call that neat. The Bible says that we need to be slow to become angry. To actually not just say, okay, I took enough time. Now, I, now my anger is legitimate. That's not the idea here. But to slow down the process enough to realize I don't have to pull the trigger. If I actually take the time to listen, slow down my mouth and ask questions, we could actually arrive at a good place rather than the place we do predictably every time. So I want to encourage you with anger. Own it. Stop blaming everybody else for your anger problem. We're all angry. We all have the emotion of angry, anger. What are you going to do with it? Stop blaming your kid for it, your spouse for it, your mommy, daddy, heritage, whatever you're blaming. Own it. Own it. It's mine. Know what your triggers are. And then just work through that process that that Paul suggests, that, that James suggests, that he recommends. Listen better. Speak less. And when you speak, use it to clarify, not to accuse. And slow down your anger. Don't be so quick to pull the trigger. Why don't you go ahead and bow your head? You see, one of the things I realize after we get done talking about all this is, especially if you're a spewer, you probably feel like two things are going on. You feel like the spotlight's on you. And you feel kind of lousy right now. You're wondering if your kid's going to grow up and be a pastor and at 50 tell stories about you. Sufferers might actually be feeling a little self-justified. We all feel lousy about the way we deal with our anger. We do. And as we come to communion this morning, one of the things we need to do is ask God to forgive us. And I know... This may be about the 3,500th time you've walked into God's throne room and said, God, I need your forgiveness again. But maybe this time it can be different because you're not just coming because you feel guilty over what you did to somebody. You're coming because you realize that the way of life you've chosen isn't producing the righteousness that God desires. take a moment to talk to God and ask him to forgive you for the way you've been expressing your anger or suppressing your anger. God can work with your desire. If you want to change, God wants you to change too. Invite his spirit into the process. Pray to him literally, Holy Spirit, help me with my anger. Help me to see my triggers. Help me to see the damage it does. 
Help me to see that there's a better way, the way God has designed for me. Help me to grow. Father, there are so many things in our lives that are incredibly uncontrollable and it causes our anger to build. I pray that we would learn to trust you less and trust our trust you more and trust our anger a lot less because our anger isn't bringing about the results you want. During our time of communion this morning, I, I pray that you would uh, remind us again of your gracious love, of the fact that your word The truth says you are gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. You've been so patient with us. Help us to extend that favor to someone else. In Jesus' name, amen. Our servers will come now and uh, they have a tray for you. On the tray you'll find bread in the middle and cups on the side. Take one of each. And when you're ready during the song, just go ahead and take communion uh, after you've spent some time still processing with God where you are. to
as you think about those words, I surrender all to you. All to you I surrender. Are you willing to include your anger in that? That anger that you've used for as long as you remember to force your way? That anger that because you've used it so often, you find it kind of comforting and soothing? And Are you willing to give it up? Are you willing to say, God, I want to trust you more than I trust the misuse of this emotion? I hope so. I hope so. Help us, God. You're going to give us a lot of possibilities to pull the trigger this week. Help us to be quick to hear. Slow to speak. And slow to get angry. In your name, amen. Our servers will come now and receive your offering. Got a few things to share with you while they do. Uh, this coming week, we'll start one of, uh, one of our journey groups. It's called A Hunger for God. This is one that's going to run during the Lenten season. For some of you, you came from a tradition where, where Lent was part of your spiritual rhythms and you still appreciate that. And, and a piece of Lent that a lot of people talk about is giving something up for Lent, but they don't know why they're doing it. They just do it. Sometimes they think it's earning them favor with God or paying for their own sins. And Hopefully through this study of, of fasting, which is really the idea of giving up something to develop a closer relationship with God, we'll get a better perspective on what that giving up is all about. So you can sign up for that on the website. Got some other things to tell you about, things to celebrate. Uh, yesterday, an envelope came to our house and we opened it up. It was from the state of Illinois. And on the inside, it said, congratulations, your property is finally tax exempt. So that is great news for a long time. We've been paying some taxes on that. and. 
finally done. We also got another envelope this week that said, yes, the IDOT thing is approved. So they can finally go ahead and punch in that entrance. And now we just need 40 degrees. Where are you? Come on. Uh, I keep trying. Where am I? Come on. Not working. Oh, well. So pray for warm weather. We could use some warm weather. I know you already have been. Sacrifice a chicken. Do something. Come on. Let's get this thing done. We need, we need warm weather. It's time. It's time. It's time. So one other thing before we sing and close. Um, I, I know I said that. That's really dumb. Anyway. Uh, I'm desperate. I'm desperate. Uh, uh, what was I going to talk about? Yeah. So anyway. I need you to pray for my family, member of my family this Friday. This Friday, Shelly is going to be leaving. She's going to be spending about 10 days in Berlin. She's going with uh, Campus Crusade to spend some time over there witnessing to students in, in dorms in Berlin. And, and what I've done way too much in my life is watch scary movies where little girls go to foreign countries and get kidnapped. And my brain is just not liking the idea of my daughter being far away from Bloomington. So... Uh, you don't have to pray for Shelly. Just pray for me. No, I'm, I'm kidding on that, of course. Pray for Shelly. Pray that this will be a, a time I know a lot of you know her, you love her, and she's like your own kid. Pray that this will be something that God will use in her life to really form her into the person he wants her to be and use for the rest of her days. So I'd appreciate if you if you, you would join me in that prayer. Um, that would just, I'd, I'd appreciate it. So, and let your chickens live. Let's stand up. And we're going to sing as we close.
next week.